Straight Talk Live, exploring human, digital, and social transformations. Welcome everyone to Straight Talk Live. Very excited to be here with you today. And today we're going to be focusing on the four critical skills needed to survive the impending unemployment crisis. And so first I want to introduce me and my co-host Af. So my name is Rick Snyder. I am the author of Decisive Intuition and the CEO of Invisible Edge, an executive coaching firm where we coach top top 500, top fortune 500 companies and also all the way to Silicon Valley startups and everything in between. And I'm joined here by my amazing esteemed colleague, Af. Af, you tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, absolutely. Welcome everyone. Good to have you back on this uh, Straight Talk Live session that we're so inspired and um, energized about. So Af Malhotra is the name. Many of you uh, know that I'm the co-founder of a company called Growth Enabler. Growth Enabler is uh, disrupting the way insights get to the Fortune 500, S&P 500 companies uh, using AI and um, a very powerful marketplace that is probably very re- relevant in today's you know um, crazy world that we live in because people are moving more and more to digital. Um, the, one of the other things I want to mention is that I spent most of my life in the corporate, so letting uh, you know led teams, um, and I came out of the corporate, built a venture capital, invested in a bunch of companies, some successes, some failures, got loads of scars to prove it. And I built a company myself, so I raised rounds with investors, negotiated uh, complex deals, and also unfortunately had to hire and sometimes let go of people. And so um, I've made friends with uncertainty, and I think today is all about trying to understand how we can do that better. So delighted to have you um, guys back again. Great. And uh, just to give uh, people out there a little more taste of what we're about at Straight Talk Live. So once again, this whole conversation grew out of an intuitive sense that our current business dialogue and our current landscape is ill-prepared for the current times. The old ways of doing things are just not working. And so this show is really created out of a a sense of urgency to get at the conversations that we need to be having and challenge the paradigms that are no longer working in all aspects of business, in all aspects of human transformation, digital transformation, and also social impact. And how all three really have to go together if we're gonna have a chance to survive, let alone thrive beyond the pandemic. And so our three cornerstones uh, of of this global forum are creating a culture of optimistic urgency that compels execution. So not enough just to inspire you, but how do we actually get everyone listening to actually execute on some of these great ideas that we'll be coming up with? Another one is sourcing of practical and disruptive ideas to advance deeper and more meaningful dialogue that impacts transformations in business and in society. And lastly, to build a community of maverick thinkers, industry influencers and policymakers, and the business leaders of tomorrow. And you're who we're looking at. So without further ado, I also wanna introduce our special guest, Ken Brotherston, who's the Managing Director of Talent Partners. And in Ken's early career, he was a head of board positions at Robert Walters and Corn Ferry International, as well as the HR director at Fidelity Investments. He was chairman and financial recruiter of financial recruiter Morgan McKinley and the technology platform, The Job Post. He also serves on the recruitment and development committee of Oxfam. So Ken, welcome to Straight Talk Live. Thank you, it's good to be here. My first question to you, let's dive right in, is 
first of all, given your position in the HR space, the recruitment space, what are you seeing right now in the employment landscape? Like what's at this point in the pandemic cycle, what are you seeing? What's surprising you? What's maybe even catching you a bit aghast right now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's if we sort of take our, um, I guess, empathy and, and, and understanding of people's, uh, people whose, whose lives have been, you know, either lost or fundamentally changed by the pandemic and, and kind of recognize that because I think that, you know, that is the most important thing in everything that's happening right now. Um, but looking at it from a talent landscape, um, you know, our business sits in the middle of the talent ecosystem. And, and, and what that means is we engage with employers, uh, large and small, all over the world, uh, with uh, kind of traditional, you know, recruitment agencies um, who are a huge supplier of talent into organizations. Uh, and that's everything from small niche agencies to some of the world's largest staffing solution and, and, and uh, kind of gig uh, platforms um, with a whole range of different uh, technology providers and then with a whole range of other sort of uh, outsourced uh, providers of talent who also in the last 10 or 20 years or so have become a huge component in how organizations find and keep the people they need. So we sit right in the middle of all of that. Um, and I guess to try and summarize where we are in one phrase, it's, it's the great reset. You know, in a unbelievably short space of time, COVID-19 has kind of almost brought economies of, of the Western world to a screeching halt. Um, and, and, and what it's enabled organizations to do is to kind of land the plane. You know, when you're running a, a, running a business, everything is mid-air repairs, you know? Mm. Uh, and actually what's happened now is, is organizations in ways that they completely didn't expect have been able to kind of land the plane. And what they're doing is they're kind of deciding what they want when they can take off again. And it's going to look different uh, to what they had before. I mean, almost without exception, you know, I don't think anyone that we speak to um, is saying we want to have the same business coming out of the crisis that we had going into it. And the implications for that or of that for talent are absolutely profound. Uh, positive in, in lots of ways in terms of the opportunities it creates, uh, but also potentially, you know, hugely negative in terms of unemployment. And if you look at just the UK, for example, um, you know, since the financial crisis, we have accepted high employment for low productivity. That's been the trade-off. If you look at France, they've tended to go the other way. They're, they're a more efficient um, economy than, than the UK. They're more productive, but they have levels of unemployment that, um, you know, causes them some, some issues uh, socially, whereas, as I say, the UK has taken a different approach. Um, I think what will happen um, is you will see that change quite dramatically, uh, I think. Uh, CEOs will look at what they need coming out of the crisis and what's available to them in terms of things like AI and robotics and, and automation. Um, and they will have a chance to um, make big strides in how they adopt those new technologies. And as I say, that will have implications for their productivity. It also has implications for uh, you know, employment in the UK. So the, the opening um, slide talked about the impending unemployment crisis. And, and I think, sadly, that uh, that will be the reality. I think there will be great social dislocation um, over the next few years. You know, anyone that talks about a V-shaped curve is, is wrong. You know, there, there, there is no way 
you take a gouge out of the economy in the way that, that this uh, pandemic has done and you recover from that um, overnight. It's going to take months and months to get back to any kind of stability and years to get back to where we were before. I think people are you know, kind of understanding that now and that, you know, that, that presents some you know, really big challenges. So I think um, what we try and tune into is, okay, if this is the reality now, you know, what, what can organizations and people do to respond effectively as things start to get back to uh, some sort of normal level or, or, or a historical level of, of, of activity. Um, and, you know, the skill sets required will be different. You know, um, there's lots of evidence um, that says, um, I mean, careers are made up of three things, um, qualifications, um, experience and personality and an abundance of one doesn't offset a shortfall in another um, but there's an awful lot of evidence now that says you know academic qualifications are a very poor predictor of successful careers um, there's a guy um, called professor Robin Shattuck that you may have heard of in the news he's um, the UK's great hope for uh, finding a vaccine and he was interviewed in the newspaper a couple of days ago. His A-level results were DDE. So, so the guy that we... Now, I know that's a sample of one, but nevertheless, it's an interesting sample. Um, you know, the guy that you know, we're relying on to find a vaccine was a failure at school, you know? So, uh -huh. um, and I think employers are increasingly aware that what makes successful employees is not A-level results. It's a whole load of different attributes. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I think is is a big shift that was already happening, and I think that will be accelerated as we, mm. as, we, as we as we come out. And to make sure I get that last point, what I hear you saying is traditional ways of valuating talent um, yeah. have to be thrown out, and and they're already accelerating in these certain ways where traditional education, traditional training. Um, it's more about how do people think laterally? How do they think intuitively? How do they get creative and problem solve and be a better team player and empathic with their, with their, um, with their team, if you will. Um, and some of those skills are some of those soft skills that maybe were judged in the past are, are really getting more limelight than before. Is that your, is that your point of view? Yeah, absolutely. You know, things like adaptability and perseverance, you know, uh, you know, they are, you know, far bigger predictors of career success than, than mm -hmm. A-level results. Mm -hmm. um, so it's those types of skills, you know, empathy, um, you know, and again, if you think about how the economy may be reshaped, I would like to think, uh, and I very much hope that empathy will be a much more important quality um, than ever before. I'd like to hope that just as a human being, but also as a as a kind of defense against automation and, and AI, you know, AI has many things, but empathy. I think is still some way off. So I think, you know, people developing that as a, as a skill is something that will A, be good for society generally, and, and B, help them get, uh, get better jobs and, and, and stay in employment. Excellent. What, what is your biggest concern right now in the short term? Like just right now, we're, with where we're, we're at in the pandemic journey, knowing that there's so much unknown to come, what is your biggest concern in the landscape right now? that the the unemployment numbers just go through the roof and and you know and it's millions and millions uh, particularly youth unemployment um and the implications for that 
uh, as a society are, are you know um, very worrying I think also from a um, uh, diversity and inclusion perspective um, we're doing some other uh, work uh, literally this week where we're asking employers about their hiring priorities and, and we're doing the simple kind of Eisenhower matrix of what's important and what's urgent and the thing that seems to be slipping down the agenda in terms of urgency is uh, diversity and inclusion. It's still seen as important. So it's in, if it's in that four square you know, matrix, it's in the box that says important but not urgent. Mm -hmm. Whereas before, it would have been seen as urgent and important. So I think, you know, and, and again, when you think about that as a, uh, the implications for that as a society, you know, that, that's quite concerning. So I think things like youth unemployment and, and um, the focus on, on diversity and inclusion, um, you know, if unemployment you know doesn't bounce back reasonably quickly, um, you know, that would that would be my my biggest concern right now because once that becomes kind of hard baked into an economy, it's very difficult to to, to get out of it. You know, you're then talking about ten years, not not you know three or four. So I think that's the um, you know that's the big concern and i think to be fair you know governments are you know very aware of this uh, and i think they're going to try and spend their way through it as much as they possibly can so so i don't think i'm picking up on something that hasn't been identified already as a as a, as a big issue ken it's uh, it's it's interesting to to hear you talk about you gave that example of the scientist right who's who's got the uh the D's and, and whatever the grades were. Mm. Um, maybe he's a friend of ours. <laughs> um, and it's, it's interesting. We have loads of academics who join these calls. We have some students from different universities who also jump on. In fact, next week we're speaking to the, um, the head of the MBA program at um, a week after next at UCL, Prof. Jim Berry. And it's a, it's a controversial topic and we'll come to that later because it's all about trying to work out whether the MBA is your fastest depreciating asset. And of course, he's got an opposing view, I'm sure. So just want to touch on a couple of things that I'm sure you're observing with your agency. The two scenarios. Let's take the UK, because we're in the UK, two of us. One of us is in the US, and we'll touch on the US in a second. We love our US brothers as well and sisters. So in the UK, the, the, there's all sorts of you know, speculation around what the unemployment rate might end up being. And having looked at and researched all sorts of different data points from what gov.uk says to what ONS is saying, the Office of National Statistics, to what others in other agencies seem to be thinking about, you know, UK unemployment, let's assume worst case scenario that we can see right now is by Q2, so quarter two, uh, we'll be at somewhere between 8 and 10% of unemployment. Um, and it said, it's assuming that it will jump back and we'll go to eight and a half percent and then seven and six and, and it'll get better and better and better. So let's take that as a believable scenario for a moment. And people on this call are thinking, well, that's okay. Unless people are going to be out of jobs, it's going to sort of get better over time. But there is a lot of um, debt, that, not financial debt, but legacy skill debt that you will carry with you if you don't take this time out to restructure or reset, which is a great word, your, um, your skill base. So if you don't go out and start go, you know, learning new things, hanging out with the right people, going into new ecosystems, 
and pushing your intellect and your way of thinking to a whole new level, you run the risk of being part of that percentage, even though it might start to get better, right? Um, in the US, in contrast, they're saying 15%, 20% unpl- unemployment. It's a different sort of a system, but these, these are worrying and scary numbers. And all three of us on this call right now are entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. We make money by, you know, by building businesses and monetizing on the back of that. And we do good work on the back of it, or we freelance, we do whatever we do. Some people on this call are in jobs. Uh, they're probably employed, but they may be worried that they may not be employed if things get worse. What do you say to those people on this call who are thinking, well, A, there could be one cohort that says, I'll be fine, you know, the numbers don't look as bad as the US. That's one cohort. The other who's a little bit more anxious and worried and thinking, crikey, I may, may you know, shit, I might lose my job in the next two quarters. What would you say, very pragmatic, practical view here, Ken, what are you going to say to them? What, what should they be thinking about here? I mean, I think um, in some ways it's hard to answer that question when it's a lot, when you're talking to a large group. If it was, a, sure. if it was an individual, that, in some ways that's an easier question to, uh, to answer. But coming back to what we touched on earlier about what are the employable attributes that are going to be um, most in demand, um, even before the COVID pandemic, you know, this, I mean, I wrote an article uh, just before Christmas about um, the UK election where no one talked about the impact of technology on jobs. I mean, it just didn't come up from any of the parties and extraordinary. And, and and, yeah, they had lots of other things to argue about, but you know, me, this is, you know, the biggest issue that we were already facing and, and you could see it um, uh, kind of, you know, year by year taking hold so even in you know uh suburban car parks um where you couldn't get parked five days a week you know now you can get parked mondays and fridays always because the whole flexible working and people working slightly less and slightly less you know was starting to to um to to really kind of well it had taken hold and it's accelerating so that was happening um and the big question was at what point do the real impacts of ai you know, kick in, you know, UK, uh, and forgive me for just quoting UK numbers, but it's what I'm most comfortable with, but I think it is, you know, universally applicable, you know, in the high street in the last 18 months, we lost 300,000 jobs, you know, now the economy was able to absorb that, but if that's just one sector, you know, losing that amount of jobs in a period of time, once that starts getting into, you know, financial services and, you know, kind of manufacturing and and really taking hold much more widely then you know, unemployment was always going to, 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 to rise inexorably uh, and most likely kind of um, on a long-term basis, you know, because it takes a long time uh, to, to kind of retrain a workforce for a skill set that they're not, uh, they're not used to. So that was always a, a big challenge. And, you know, during that period, you get a high degree of, of social dislocation, I mean, I can remember, you know, the issue with um, mining, uh, the mining industry back in uh, the the 80s. And, you know, a miner never worked in a call center. So even though they, you know, created new jobs uh, where the yeah. mining jobs used to be, it wasn't for the same people. So to kind of answer, answer your question, it's, you know, what are the attributes that are um, going to be most in demand? And the, the stuff around 
you know, adaptability, empathy. Um, and I think being aware about how to use technology. So, so that's not the same as being a technologist. Um, that's not mm. what I'm talking about. But, you know, how technology can be deployed, how can it, how can it be used effectively, and also how you use uh, data to make decisions. Um, now, on a kind of technical level, that's obviously data analytics. Um, yeah. But, you know, more broadly, um, the way I like to think about it is there's, there's a kind of hierarchy of, of uh, data, information, knowledge and wisdom, you know, and kind of if your job is just providing data, well, that's already gone. Mm. Um, mm. If it's providing information, that's in the process of going quite quickly. Um, mm. If you're providing knowledge, you know, that actually still is, you know, you know for, for most of us, that's the place to be. You know, you, you're looking at information saying, what does this mean? How can I deploy it? How can I use it? How can I make it more valuable? <clears throat> and to the point you made, Rick, about you know being able to know how to to make that happen, you know that's that's a kind of key you know a key attribute. Uh, and then ultimately, it's it's wisdom. You know, I've got all the information. This is the decision that that you know that needs to be made. But you know, I think that mm. um, hierarchy of thinking about um, you know being in the, the 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 genuine knowledge economy and and what does that really mean uh in for the people watching you know whatever industry they happen to be in you know they need to be thinking about in my in my market you know what what do those jobs look like how do you define those jobs and and and, and where can i find them because they will continue to be you know in demand for the foreseeable future yeah that's a, that's a great point you know, I, <clears throat> sorry go on rick I was going to say that's a really good segue to um, the four critical skills that we were going to talk about, actually, because a lot of that is covered in there. Yeah. So, off to just jump into that right away. Um, you had some. You want to? Do, you got some of these from uh, MIT, I believe, and then we we've kind of restructured some of these four critical skills. Do you want to read those off? And yeah, sure. Them? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I'll do that. And and for everyone listening, so these are the four you know, skills or capabilities that we were alluding to in the title of this uh, Straight Talk Live. So I'll start with the first one. And um, that's very much about um, what we call high-level systems thinking. We're labeling it ecosystem-driven thinking, ecosystem-driven thinking. But what does that really mean? So that means you now have to think about the entire value chain of the different departments or divisions or compartments of a process or a system or a business model. So it's not about you being a specialist any longer in just one area, perhaps sales and saying, well, the marketing team should fix this or the product guy or the product people have got their own stuff to do. It's now you being able to understand the unit economics, the movement of money and the dependencies of your unit with other units. It's, you know, in the old days, we used to call it general management and used to do rotations right? When you, if you were lucky enough to get a graduate program or something like that in a big company. And I think that entire thought process is coming back in to say, look, you need to understand how businesses work end to end. Mm -hmm. And you could be the best coder on the planet. Cause I do know a lot of my friends and family who say, Oh, look, you in technology and what should we do? Should we go learn Python or something? Or should I become a coder? Well, yes, you should, but you should also do other things as part of that process, which is to understand what a business model or a, an, an ideal job in a certain company would look like on the basis of the entire makeup of that business. So thinking about the interconnectedness 
of the unique components of a supply or value chain is mandatory, is non-negotiable, and there are ways to, to, to learn that skill. The second area is entrepreneurial mindset. We're all entrepreneurs. What does that mean? It means you've got to make friends with uncertainty, as I say. You've got to accept volatility. You've got to be more risk tolerant. You've got to realize that you're probably going to fail a lot more than you're going to succeed. And so for the men out there, and you can gun me for this later, we have to take our ego, pick it up and throw it in the dustbin for a while. And, um, and it's going to be hard for us to do because, you know, we're going to fail a lot and family or friends will say, I told you so. And so therefore you have to much, have a much greater sense of purpose and tolerance to the fact that we're all in this together. I mean, that's the, mess, the most interesting thing about this, this pandemic is that everyone is experiencing this uncertainty and volatility at the same time. Right. Albeit right. at different levels. Sorry. Yeah. This, is, this is where the entrepreneur mindset has the distinct advantage because we live in uncertainty. We've been there before. We mm. break things and move forward. And the more that corporates can really adopt that kind of mentality, and, and be able to encourage that within their interdepartments and give a little more autonomy and freedom and decision-making ability. That's really what we're seeing on the front lines, at least who we're coaching right now, which is making a huge difference, is that kind of trust that has to be engendered for that kind of liberal lateral thinking that the old ways of doing it and the old ways of command and control just are too slow and they're just not working anymore in the same way, especially in times of crisis and unpredictability. You see, I, I agree with that only in part. Mm -hmm. um, I think the new ways of thinking are important. I mean, we um, did a webinar a couple of weeks ago with uh, the head of talent acquisition uh, and talent management from Iceland, the, 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 the supermarket. And yeah. they had to respond to the crisis incredibly rapidly. They hired something like 4,000 people in eight days. Uh, with a team of five, you know, and he wow. was saying that one of the things that came out of that was this um, incredible kind of um, epiphany about things don't have to be perfect, they just have to be good enough, mm -hmm. you know, um, mm -hmm. and, and so that was moving away, I think, from a, you know, a corporate mindset um, to something that people would say is slightly more entrepreneurial, mm -hmm. but it's such a fine balance because entrepreneurs also have the tendency to just kind of charge off and and do what they want um, yeah. because they believe that they know better than than, than anyone else um, and you know in organizations that can be incredibly dangerous um, so I think you know the core of this is um, is balance you know when is it right because you know I don't want entrepreneurs running a nuclear power plant right you know I, w I wonder what happens if i push this button right i want someone who has a very different mindset you know um unless you're unless with a disclaimer there unless you're elon musk where he's totally an entrepreneur but he's, he's sending satellites up to the sky somewhere so there are some caveats there or some outliers yeah but I, yeah i'm not sure i'd get in an elon musk satellite but uh, <laughs> um, not quite yet yeah not not yet but you know what i mean i mean yeah. so, so i think the um the kind of the mindset of entrepreneurs are always best. I, I think right. in some environments, absolutely, yeah. they, they, they add huge um, value to, to societies. Um, but I actually wonder whether that kind of business school, entrepreneurial-led thinking will be the dominant mindset as we go forward. I, I, I think, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we're all socialists now. You know, when you look what 
governments have done to their balance sheets. You know, higher taxes are absolutely a given. Um, yep. And and I think also, you know, I'd like to think that we, we, we think more as a society than, than, than perhaps we did before, which again, mm -hmm. is a bit of a counterpoint to traditional entrepreneurial thinking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I, I take your point. And I, th I think like with every capability augmenting itself based on the the act of god events or the force majeure that we're all going through entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial skills need to augment too so whether we call it more hybrid more balanced a little bit more timid or i don't know more adaptive even i mean the it's almost a paradox entrepreneurs need to be more adaptive but they'll say they are of course they can adapt they're like the darwins 2.0 darwins of uh, of the future so but you are right because i think um, that's the social element and it kind of brings me to my third point in the two skills were the ecosystem and then the entre entrepreneurial mindset or capabilities. The third one is interesting because uh, you talked about social but what this is saying, uh, what MIT is saying about this, and I kind of agree with it, is bottom line focus. They're calling it bottom line focus and what does that mean? That means you've got to, going back to ecosystem or systems thinking, you've got to understand profit, loss, revenue, um, you've got to be able to understand the unit economics of a business model or a thing that you're doing, even the job that you're doing. I mean, how often do you think about the cost of your job? Mm -hmm. You don't, right? You just cry in with the job and you wait for the salary, but you actually think about the mechanics of, or how much am I costing this company? And is what I'm doing worthwhile for the company and for me? And those sorts of questions now need to be asked in terms of mass satisfaction and uh, a sense of purpose that comes from what you do, which will have a positive effect on everything else that we're doing in a more socially centric world that we live in. So bottom line focus is, it's interesting, is, is a lot to do with also digital, accepting that new business models that are digital that will require you to be at home or in an environment that's not work and have a laptop opened up on multiple devices and loads of screens and videos going off and you're listening to a webinar whilst you're doing something else and coming back to the webinar and all of that sort of good stuff that millennials or you know the gen alpha that's coming our way do it like really easily um, that bottom line focus has to be you have to train yourself on it you know do some courses educate yourself on it understand the financial implications and the models that keep the systems thinking working right um, and the fourth area is ethics-driven leadership. Now, this is all about not doing those naughty deals anymore. Um, not going out of your way to say, hey, I can hire, but I'll just fire as well, you know. And just having a sense of compassion that as human beings, we actually do. But I think a little bit of the overdose and excitement of capitalism has taken that compassion away from us. Right. So um, ethics-driven leadership, you know, discuss what do you think do you think are you are you buoyant both of you on on the fact that us as people humanity is going to take ethics and change the way shareholder values looked at and governance is looked at and so on and so forth because this is not going to happen in pockets it's got to happen in a seismic way like pan the pandemic right sooner or later so uh, for discussion what do, you, what do you guys think so i think those those last two points have a have an inherent tension you know, bottom line focus and, and ethics driven leadership. Um, I think bottom line awareness is really important. Um, but the problem when you say focus, it tends to then be the the main thing, you know, and um, I mean, if you look at, say, Unilever and, and, and what they talk about now in terms of their goals over the next five years and, 
and their goals around reducing waste. And uh, I remember reading their document and thinking, yeah, 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 it's just words. And then actually you turn the page and there are some very specific numbers that yeah. they have put in place as very specific targets that they will achieve within the next two or three years. And I thought that was actually really powerful because, you know, it's really clear that they will be held to hitting those targets, you know, and they weren't on the face of it um, profit targets. They, they actually were targets that would suggest that they would have a greater cost uh, than um, if they just had a pure bottom line focus. So I thought that was very commendable. Um, but, you know, I'm not sure most businesses are, are there. I have a, uh, I have to say, quite a deep cynicism that some of the, the most successful businesses uh, in the world right now, Google, Amazon, um, Facebook, stuff like that, um, I think it's hard to look at them and think that they're great examples of ethics-driven leadership. Um, so, so I think there's, there's a real long way to go. I think it's a kind of nice to have, but mm -hmm. when you look at, um, you know, a lot of businesses that people look at as, you know, even right now, incredibly successful, um, it seems like an all encompassing focus on, on profit and not so much on, um, that kind of ethics, uh, driven mm -hmm. leadership. I mean, don't, don't you think, just to add to that, do you not feel positive or a sense of uh, joy about the fact that the younger generation, um, at least those that, you know, we come across, family, friends, people you've hired or worked with in the past, have a much greater lenience towards being um, a little bit more ethical than, than at least my generation. I'm a late millennial. But uh, I grew up with, you know, the MBA schools of general management yeah. and the, you know, go get a job, get another one, get a VP title, get more money and keep doing that. Um, there was no conversation about doing good for society. Uh, you know, if you, were, if you were a little bit religious or into faith, you thought, okay, I'll do a bit of good for society. But beyond that, you know, feeding a few people, it wasn't really part of a discussion. That entire sort of architecture of thinking has changed. And young people do care about um, uh, social impact ethics. In fact, they pick companies on the basis of their CSR ratings, or they say, well, actually, I don't want to work for this company because I don't like the fact that they treat you know, workers in Bangladesh badly, and so on and so forth. Um, I don't remember doing that. Maybe I was too busy trying to just do other things in my life, but uh, surely we should feel happy about the fact, or a little bit more positive about the fact that this younger generation, the future workforce, will put us in, in better stead, in a better position, no? Sadly, I think the statistics don't support that. If you look at businesses um, who don't have um, reputations, that are, so investment banks, um, and you ask them about their application rates now compared to 10 years ago, no difference. You know, people are still, hundreds of thousands of people want to apply to go and work in, in, in investment banks. They might be, you know, challenging, challenging them to have a slightly different conversation about, you know, what is your social uh, impact? Um, and I think some banks, to be fair, have, have made great strides in that. Um, but it's not, I've never seen any evidence that says a uh, bad company um, that is very successful, um, and I use bad as, as quite obviously quite an extreme term, um, you know, if uh, they're still able to get the people that they that they need. Um, a friend of mine um, does some hiring for one of the big cigarette companies. And actually, she said she was saying something quite interesting. She said, young people, easy. She said, um, baby boomers and kind of older millennials, really hard. 
Um, mm. So again, uh, you know, that's a sort of one example, but it, it was quite striking that, uh, you know, her view was, you know, attracting a younger cohort into a uh, company that still makes most of its money from cigarettes uh, was, was not that hard. Whereas someone a bit older who had perhaps lost a relative or parent, you know, because mm. of smoking, that actually was a harder, uh, a harder sell. So, um, so I think it's um, as a, as a kind of broad trend, I kind of agree with you, but, um, but I think equally the older people, um, you know, social impact for them is, is, is also very important, you know, much more important than it was 10 or, or, or 20 years ago. So that, that certainly does give me, I'm, I'm turning perhaps more pessimistic than I actually feel. Um, but, uh, I think as a as a sort of general trend, it's it's going in the right direction, but there's but I, but it's not it's not a given that that we're going to get there. Mm -hmm. Here, here's where I see it a little bit differently. Ken is when I think about the time of the uh, economic crash in 2008, we didn't see CEOs giving up their salary pay cut, and we didn't see certain actions that were happening that were happening right now. So I see a whole another level of ethics, and whether it's people feeling the social pressure to do that or some people actually volunteering to uh, reduce or even give away their salary, the high, highest level CEOs. Um, to me, that's at least a symbol of a way of being together in this uh, that I never saw before. And I, and I, do I, would, see... I, I would say that's tactics, not ethics. If mm -hmm. it was ethics, they wouldn't be getting paid $25 million a year in the first place. Mm. Yeah, I, I right. agree. Yeah. And, and how does, how does this though, how does this pandemic, how does this conversation start to shift exactly what you're saying? Right. Cause yeah, I have a you, feeling people are starting to look at these celebrity homes in a whole different way right now yeah. than before. And, and, you know, since the crisis, CEO pay and the differential has accelerated, um, mm. you know, and, and by quite a margin. So, um, so yeah, so I think tactically CEOs know, you know they're going to get absolutely hammered in uh, in the media if they don't do something. But I'm I'm not sure that 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 signals a fundamental shift in in their thinking because, as I say, the overall you know if you use CEO pay as a as a marker, you know that um, it it started to flatten in the last year, but that's against ten years of of, of really steep um, uh, increases. Mm. Mm. I mean, I, I think also, Rick, the event, the 2008 crisis, you've got to look at the root cause. Why did something happen? And then the response can be well understood. That was an economic crisis. It was led by the banks. It was a subprime crisis. This is a, a health pandemic. Um, it's like a, almost like, God forbid, a natural disaster hits us. It, it, we're all in this together. And so you can't really point a finger. All the people are trying to point fingers at all sorts of people out there who said, oh, you knew this. Bill Gates knew about this or, you know, whatever. <laughs> who knows, whatever, whatever rumor mills go around. We're all in this mess together, right? Yes. We're all feeling the pain together. And I think, I do agree there's a level of, um, you know, you have to be a tactician. You almost have to demonstrate some tactics here. And it's sad that we think that way. Maybe because of, because of the generation we're from, maybe because we've seen behaviors that haven't been consistent over the years and we realize that businesses do certain things because it's the right time to do the right thing to get the right result. All these rights that we've been taught about. So I think, um, we, we, I, I mean, I feel we want to remain hopeful about a new future where things do get better, but I don't think it's going to come overnight. And going back to skills without deviating, I think people on this call need to accept a few things. One is digital is going to be everywhere. 
right? So you better sharpen your saw, better learn some new skills, go into the Harvard free courses, go on Coursera, go and learn some Python, do whatever you need to do, number one. Number two, you need to start to talk to more people, get on more webinars, get on more sessions like this, build up your network and ecosystems of people who can coach you and mentor you. All right, even if you haven't got any money to pay on this stuff, it's now free. Even stuff that we used to charge for is free today, mm. like this, right? And those two are very important things to build your knowledge and your awareness and so on. And I think if you keep the right company around you, you can debate and discuss mm-hmm. new things. You know, heck, we're talking about this after this call where we're going to collaborate in some other areas that we never knew we had synergy over. So I think... That's going, to be, that's going to be terribly important. Um, I'm conscious of time again. Time always runs out. But Rick, should we open the floor for some discussion? And, and Yeah, in fact, I've, and then- I've got a question from Nitin on Facebook. And he says, um, this is good for all of us, and your point right there, is the post-COVID world a good case for pushing universal basic income? Mm-hmm. We say the workforce of the future, but, the po- but it's possible that most of the jobs that exist today will not be there in 15 years due to advancements in AI, et cetera. What are your thoughts on that? Um, Ken, do you want to go first and then we'll try and chime in? Uh, short answer, yes. Um, I, I think there was already something going on with, with that anyway. I think um, whether we call it UBI or, 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 or something else, um, I think people will um, work less so you know a three-day week um and they'll work for you know a certain amount of money um and the government will um if it's not a direct ubi they they will be um subsidizing businesses in a different way so that they can continue to pay people so so i think it it, it won't i think ubi is a is, is a very kind of blunt instrument and i think um kind of philosophically i'm not sure many economies are really ready for it yet but I think there are more sophisticated ways of, of, of essentially achieving the same, the same thing. And I think that's, that's a direction we're definitely headed in. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I'd add to that, do agree with all of that, I think is going a little bit beyond this. It's not just about the policy or the structure or the process of um, giving people some money. That's, that's great. We've got to do that. And a lot of people who do need that, and we need to provide for those people. And the ones who have more need to share some of that uh, wealth and give it to other people so they can be in a better situation, no doubt. But there's a bigger question beyond this, which is um, even when, when you do it in whatever manifestation, one has to inspire the sense of purpose. There has to be a real connection with why do I wake up in the morning and why am I, even though, if I, I'm, even though I'm receiving this universal basic in, income or whatever it's called, what am I going to do with my life that's going to have a material impact on the world? And I don't mean just charities, I mean even business, good business. And building skills, resetting yourself is, is, has to be a part of any sort of a scheme moving forward. It can't, it can't be just take some money and we've done our bit government. No, it's got to be about getting people ready for a 3.0, 2.0 world that, that we're embracing or coming across. You know, I agree this hundred percent that if I I think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if I'm just given money by the government and I don't, I'm not connected to my highest values around what do I want to use that toward, then I'm just going to piss it away. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of studies have shown people who've won the lottery have usually gone bankrupt or pissed that money away because they weren't connected to a deeper sense of purpose or values with that money, or they felt like they didn't deserve it and they just got that. And so subconsciously they, they were able to just eradicate that money from their, from their system. 
And so I think that's important is not not just giving the money away, but how do we connect that to how, what's your plan with this? How are you going to move this forward in your development? You know, what are you going to put your money down on? How are you going to invest in yourself? I think the more that we can connect and link that with any kind of universal income, that's going to have a lot more traction than just this donor mentality by itself. Yeah. And one thing I'd, I'd love to see, and I really hope that this, this happens um, to a degree is, you know, we've, we've recognized the importance of jobs that are about caring you know, mm. in, in this COVID crisis. And, you know, we've, we've, I'm sure I've, I've done it, you know, we call them unskilled jobs. Okay. Um, but they're, they're hugely important. Um, and I think, they're also going to be a huge growth area uh, in the the kind of post-COVID uh, kind of AI uh, world, and and I would love to see in some form those being much more valued, um, because as I say, I think you know one of the lessons that I think a lot of people have had is is those people involved in in you know caring, and it's everything from you know surgeons and and you know Robin Shattuck inventing the 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 vaccine you know right through to, to people working in care homes doing the really you know hard day-to-day stuff um, and I think as a growth area that would be you know economically good and also socially good uh, that's that's something I'd love to see you know um, really accelerate in the next in the next few years. Hmm. Well it looks like we're wrapping out of time here unfortunately we could probably talk for another hour easily um, Ken, thank you so much for being here and giving Pleasure. us some of your insights. Do you have any final words around uh, the job market and for the people listening out there today? Any final words from your vantage point? You know, I think um, there, it is a, t- a tough time. It's a challenging time. I think um, there are so many things that we will learn from this if we are paying attention to it, you know. So, um mm-hmm. That, that I think is, is the key thing to try and kind of reflect on where we are now, what we're doing and what we can, what we can build on, um, you know, the whole kind of, I don't want to call it flexible working, but dynamic working, you know, I think a lot of people have, have realized that they can just go and do, you know, lots of different things from wherever they happen to be and still be really, uh, really effective. My phone um, is becoming old technology as I become far more used to talking to people like this, you know, and, and I think that's a good thing. I think it's a higher level of interaction. And uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, we've got some tough um, months ahead, but I, I think there are some really interesting times ahead. Yeah, that's my conclusion as well, is that with any calamity, there's always hidden upsides. And this is to me where innovation is birthed and our creativity comes to the four, fourfold. And so that's what I'm excited to see is how do we take this challenge globally and really come together and, and really look at these creative ways to um, not repeat some of these patterns again. That's my wish. I, I want to say one more thing. I know we're t- time short, but I think I'm going to borrow what um, Ken said earlier on when we were prepping for this. When the conversation's in flow, you should keep chatting. Loads of people are coming in and saying this is too short. Uh, but I just want to say one thing related to how Rick and I met, actually, because we met physically at um, in London. He was traveling over and he's an entrepreneur. He's, he decided to travel over to another part of the world, got on a plane and he did some cool things and he ended up meeting some new people. 
And through some connectivity and discussion, we came to this stage. Like we built this thing out called Straight Talk That Live, and it literally just happened. It was like in our, as as Rick, you put it, it was in our in our quarantine zone. We were in our bunkers, our COVID bunkers, right? <laughs> and we came up with this idea, and this was all done virtually. And we've just yeah. ramped it up. We've got the next fifteen sessions booked out. We've got amazing people like you, Ken, coming on the show to debate with us. And um, I think for for the next six months or first half you're not going to be able to get on a plane and travel. That's for sure, right? So what are you going to do? Yeah. What are you going to do? You have to come out of your comfort zone and stop playing the games at home on, on your PS2 or whatever, PS4 and Xbox. Get onto these calls. They're free. Talk to people. Um, say things that you never thought you would say before. Um, ask questions, no matter how stupid or dumb you think they are. Just say it. Speak up. Because through conversation, virtual conversation on your video, and please don't turn your video off. I've been on loads of calls where people are like, yeah, I can hear you, mate, but, uh, and they turn the video off. I'm like, look, put the damn background on if you want, but get the video on because this might be default. This might be the way you're going to build relationships, God forbid, but, um, you know, this is it. And so the next time a Rick and an Af are going to collaborate on something, imagine that whole story again, but it was virtual. It would only happen if we had the guts, the courage, um, you know, the inclination to try and build relationships. We're still building relationships, right? And I love the pub in the background, by the way. That's super, <laughs> super tempting. We should, uh, uh, uh. We should I do think some thing it's time. I'm just on my own there. There's just me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, amazing. it's amazing. But um, yeah, it's, it's a great session. Go on, Rick. You can, you can wrap it up. I don't know if there are any more questions, but you, you can. Ken, I so want to have a pint with you at the pub behind you right there. Um, so I look forward to that. Enough, and in yeah. the meantime, uh, just for everyone, this is what we're going to be talking about next Thursday, same time. Are we ready for higher education 2.0? What does education look like in this new landscape for higher ed? We're going to be joined by Chandres, who's on our call right now, and also Mitesh of Singularity University. Chandres, of course, from Queen Mary University in England. So looking forward to having you both on that call for education 2.0. I love the way you're, I love the way you're pronouncing his name, Rick. He's going to be chuffed. that's very that's very indian of you i actually i lived in india for one year so hopefully some of that residue is still with me (laughs) (laughs) wonderful it's been a real pleasure ken thank you for joining us um super excited and look forward to the next call see you guys on the 7th of may okay thank you all thanks Thanks for all who turned in today see you next week all the best cheers